But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptations and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For, lo for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God, who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. To him be honour and might forever. Amen. Command the, those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called, called knowledge, which some have professed and in so doing have wandered from the faith. Grace be with you. I don't know about you, but I love my bed. My bed. There's my bed there. <laughs> That's not actually my bed, but I wish it was. But even though I'm sometimes tempted to, I don't spend my entire life in bed. Every morning I do actually get up. What is it that gets you up in the morning? And I don't mean one of those. What is it that motivates you? What's the main thing in your life? What do you use your time and energy pursuing? Is it a relationship? Is it good health and looks? Perhaps it's a house or maybe your career. What's the thing that you look forward to that has the highest place in your affections? What's the thing that keeps you going when times are tough? What do you hope in? Your number one hope is your priority in life. It's the thing that is, in a very real sense, your God. It's the thing that drives you, drives you forward, keeps you going. Now, our passage today lays out two alternatives two clear alternatives. Will you hope in God or will you hope in money and the stuff that it will buy? Or to put it another way, will you worship God or will you worship gold? Jesus himself said that there was a stark choice before us between God 
and mammon. No, I didn't say mammoth, I said mammon. Mammon is money, riches, wealth. Jesus himself said, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, I don't think it's too much of an exaggeration to say that in our society, most people place their hope in money and possessions. If you have money, the argument goes, you can buy happiness and security, clothes to make you look good and make people like you, gizmos to keep you entertained. You can buy yourself a holiday to reinvigorate yourself. You buy health insurance to guarantee a vigorous and long life. Many people put their hope in money and the things that it will buy. It has been said that consumerism is is the religion of the 21st century. And if a religion is something that people believe in and follow devotedly, well, that's a good argument. Many people, it would seem, live to shop. The shopping center, for many people, is the place of worship on a Sunday morning. And many shopping centers rival the old cathedrals in their size and magnificence. And where the old cathedrals aimed to direct people towards God so that they could devote themselves to Him, the new cathedrals, the shopping centers, are designed to direct people towards the shops and the products on offer so that people can devote themselves to a materialistic existence. And you know, the consumerist message is very convincing. Did you know that more money is spent on advertising than is spent on education? In other words, the people who are trying to get us to buy things are our primary teachers. They are our main educators. All our lives, wherever we go, we're assailed by advertising. Walking down the street, driving down the motorway, listening to the radio, watching the television, surfing the internet, even trying to eat our breakfast cereal in the privacy of our own kitchens. If you care to look at the cereal packets, you'll be assailed with advertising. You need to buy this gadget. You need to eat this type of food. You need to wear these clothes. You need to go on holiday here. These things will make you happy. They will show the world that you're successful. It's what the good life's all about. Buying these things. But do you notice that advertising only really works by making you feel dissatisfied with what you currently have. The adverts say, the clothes you're wearing, not really good enough. You need these, or the yogurt you normally eat is pretty naff. You need this stuff. It makes you dissatisfied with what, you, what you're having at the moment, what you have. The advertisers tell us that we need their products. But you know, that's not normally true, because we need to distinguish between what we actually need, food and clothing, and Paul here in our passage talks about food and clothing, and and the word for clothing is actually literally covering, so that would include accommodation as well. So those are the things we need, food, clothing, a roof over our heads. But we should distinguish that from the things that we want. Next slide. There is a difference between what we need and what we want. The advertisers say that we will 
only be happy once we've bought this and that. But it's not true, since our appetites are virtually limitless. Rather like drinking salty water when you're thirsty. It will not quench your thirst, it will make you thirstier still. We will never be satisfied if we pursue what we want. In our reading in verse 8, God says that we should be satisfied if we have what we need. If we have food and clothing, we should be content with that. And if we have faith in God, we will live according to the reality that God is a generous giver. God provides all we need and loads more besides. We're told in verse 17 that God richly provides everything for our enjoyment. You know, right at the beginning of the Bible, God creates all kinds of trees that grew out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food, says in Genesis 2.9. God gives his chosen people a land flowing with milk and honey. Jesus comes that we might have abundant life. Paul reckoned it was impossible to grasp all that God had prepared for those who love him. No eye has heard, seen, no ear has heard. No mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9. Our God is an ex- extravagant, super generous, giving God who is committed to providing for us. Jesus says, do not worry about your life, what you will eat and drink, or about your body, what you will wear. But seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness And all these things will be given to you as well. And it's because everything that we have comes from God that the rich people in verse 17 are told not to be arrogant. It's not a new idea for God's people. For example, in Deuteronomy 8, I quote, You may say to yourself, My power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God. For it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Isn't it so easy to think that what is ours is ours because we've earned it. We've worked hard for it. We've studied at school. We've got the qualifications. Or, you know, we get up in the morning. We work. It's ours. But it's still all from God. The strength to do what we do comes from God. Everything we have comes from God. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that there is anything wrong with money or possessions in themselves. They're all good gifts from God. They can all be used for great good. They can give satisfaction. They can be fun. They can enrich our lives. We're told that God gives us all things for enjoyment. But it's when the gift is rated higher than the giver that things go wrong. When we rate the gift higher than the giver that things go wrong. What really matters is what we are pursuing in life. If we begin to rely on the gifts and not the giver, then things quickly go wrong. Putting our faith and trust in God is a sure hope, but putting our faith and trust in money and material possessions is completely the opposite. Not only will riches disappoint in this life, as many are finding at the moment, We can't take them with us beyond the grave. For good reason, a shroud has no pockets. And not only that, but in our lifetime, 
A love of money, according to verse 10, leads to all sorts of evil. And there's all sorts of things that, that you can imagine. People attempted to be corrupt, to dishonesty. People develop hard hearts when they're grasping for themselves what they have. There's a temptation to run up debts, to overspend, to overwork, and to neglect things that are more important, such as our families. There is plenty of evils that come on from a love of money, that follow on from that. Worshipping gold instead of worshipping God leads to our destruction, as we read in verse 9. In this world, we are pierced by griefs and can even lead to the ultimate destruction of wandering from the faith, verse 10. But in contrast, a life lived worshipping God has eternal benefits. It produces godly fruit in our lives and allows us to take hold of the eternal life to which we are called, verse 12. Hoping in gold leads to death. Hoping in God leads to life that is truly life. And that is eternal life and not the sham consumerist alternative that melts in your mouth like candy floss. True life. So, how do we resist the temptation, the lure of riches, which turns out to be a trap? Verse 9 speaks of riches as being a trap. Paul addresses the rich, giving them advice in verse 17. And you know, that means he's talking to us, because all of us in the West do not have to worry about our food or clothing. And what Paul says to us, to them, to us, in verse 18, boils down, I think, to one point. You'll be pleased to know, no doubt. I think that point is that we should give. We must give ourselves in the service of God and of others. That's what he means by doing good. It is giving yourself, being rich in good deeds. Secondly, we should give ourselves, give generously of our money. And we should give others the use of all that we own, being willing to share what we have. Where the principle of the consumer age is, well, if you have it, it's yours, so spend it. Next slide. The discipleship principle is quite the opposite. It's if you have it, it's a gift from God. You should give it back to him since he is to be the Lord of your whole life. When we next open our purse or wallet or check our account balance, we must think to ourselves and maybe even say out loud, this money is God's. This is God's. I am merely the steward. I'd like to draw our thoughts to a close by thinking about giving. How should we give? It's clear that we should, but where do we start? Well, I think a very useful starting point is the tithe, which is a very biblical idea that the first tenth of the harvest was given straight back to God. And this was used then by those who worked in the Jerusalem temple and also to support those who were impoverished. In other words, the tithe was used for kingdom work. In an agricultural society, that was, of course, usually the fruits of the harvest. But for us, it would be our income, our salary, our wage, 
So unless you're doing so already, can I commend to you the principle of tithing by giving the very first portion, the very first portion of our income straight back to God for the furthering of his kingdom, we are acknowledging that it comes from him in the first place. It's a very practical way of seeking first the kingdom of God. And for many people, beginning to tithe is a very liberating experience. For many of us, money has a bit of a stranglehold on us. It has power over us. And that power can be broken by giving money away. It says, you're not the most important thing. I don't need you. But I'd also want to stress that the first tenth of our income shouldn't be all we give. It's fallen off my ear. It shouldn't be all we give. It should be not the finishing point, but the starting point. Our giving shouldn't end with a tithe. All of our money belongs to God, not just the first tenth. So we must use 100% of our income as God directs. If we don't do that, we're effectively robbing God. There's so much more that could be said about giving, but I want to finish with the example of a hero of the Christian faith, John Wesley. That's him. Who regularly taught on the subject of giving and who practiced what he preached. He was keen to teach that one's lifestyle should not be determined by one's income. He wanted his hearers to decide how they were going to live on the basis of principles, not on the basis of their income. Wesley himself began to limit his expenditure so that he could give more money to the poor. One year when he was earning 30 pounds a year, and that was quite a lot in those days, he decided that he needed 28 pounds to live on. So the extra two pounds he gave away. The next year, he was actually earning twice that. He was earning 60 pounds. But still, he decided he only needed 28 pounds to live on, so he gave away 32. The following year, this sounds a bit contrived, but this is what I read. He was earning 90. What did he do? How much did he need to live on? 28 pounds. 62, thank you. <laughs> gave away 62. And he carried on like this. At one point, at the, sort of the highest point of his earning capacity, he was earning 1,400 £1, pounds a year. And he was still living on 28 pounds and giving all the rest away. Wesley decided that with increasing income for the Christian, what should rise is not the Christian's standard of living, but what should rise is the Christian's, Christian's standard of giving. So with increasing income, what should rise is not the Christian standard of living, but the standard of giving. Now exactly how much money we give away is of course a personal issue between us and God, but it ought to be considered that if we're living in the same way as those around us who earn similar salaries or have similar allowances, and if our giving makes no difference to that, we're probably not giving enough. Giving is meant to be sacrificial, and it's meant to make an impact on our lifestyles. And so, in summary, what would God have us do in this key area of our lives? Well, according to the Gospels, Jesus spoke more about money than he did about sexual morality. He spoke more about money than he did about hell. Jesus thought money was pretty important. 
What would God have us do? Well, firstly, there are just two points, briefly. Firstly, we should have an attitude that is of contentment and gratitude for what we have. And we must cultivate a mindset that everything we have is God's and should be used for the furthering of his kingdom. And secondly, we should give. We should give joyfully, generously, and sacrificially. And this is the way of true happiness, not the happiness that the world offers, happiness that will never materialize, but true happiness. As Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And by doing so, we will lay up treasure for ourselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that we may take hold of the life that is truly life. Amen.